0: to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. So if you have your bibles if you don't have your bibles you could pause your video and grab them we're going to turn to exodus chapter 20 verse 13 we're going to pick up on our series of the 10 commandments so if you have that passage open exodus chapter 20 verse 13 we'll read it and then we'll we'll work away at it so the text reads you shall not murder so let's get to get to work here So if you like short and to the point commandments, commandments six through ten are commandments for you. Unlike the first five commandments that we've studied, these concluding five commandments aren't surrounded by any commentary or explanation. Even more, there aren't any promises or warnings attached to them. They're they're quick, sharp jabs that can be recited in the matter of, of seconds. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And while these last five commandments are short and to the point and, be, and can be recited in the matter of, of seconds, they do present us with a problem. And what is the problem? Well, the problem is this that they don't seem all that special to us. Now, what I mean here in saying this, they don't seem all that special to us, is, is not that they aren't important, but that they don't seem distinctly Christian. In the first five commandments, we're told who we are to worship, how we're to worship, when we're to worship. And, and to all of these, these commandments, there's these warnings and promises attached. But when we get to these last five commandments, they don't seem to match the, the spiritual nature, the spiritual fervor, the spiritual importance of the first five commandments. And so think this through with me. Imagine yourself chatting over the fence with your, with your neighbor, and your neighbor happens to be an agnostic. He's open to talking about God, but at the same time, he's decidedly not a Christian and doesn't embrace Christianity. So in the course of conversation, you work up the courage and you ask your neighbor, neighbor, what do you think about the first five commandments? And you, you give a brief explanation of what the first five commandments teach. Well, your neighbor responds rather quickly. He says, well, that sounds rather ridiculous. No one can tell me who to worship, how to worship, when to worship. That seems out of bounds. I don't like the first five commandments. And then in the course of conversation, you, you continue it on and you, you ask a second question. Well, neighbor, what do you think about commandments six through ten? And what happens with this question is you get a a completely different answer. And so your neighbor thinks it through a bit and then says something like this. While I might understand some of these commandments differently than you do, I think that these words form the bedrock of any decent society. Who would want to live in a society filled with murder or theft or lies or rampant greed? I certainly don't. I certainly don't want that for my culture or city. So for the most part, these last five seem reasonable. So the question is, as we think about this conversation with our unbelieving agnostic neighbor is, well, what are we supposed to do? Are the first five commandments spiritual and the last five moralistic add-ons? Are the first five for the church and, and the last five for anybody? The, the atheist, the Muslim, the Buddhist, the, your agnostic neighbor across the fence? Should the church just busy itself in teaching the theology of the first five commandments and then let the law schools or the legislators teach and define the last five commandments for us? And here's the truth we have to, to grapple with. These last five commandments, "You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steer, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet," only makes sense and only can transform a person or a society as they are intended, if these last five are connected with the first five commandments. And we can say this differently. The Ten Commandments cannot be treated as a buffet where you can show up and just pick and choose whatever serves your particular appetite in that particular time. If you you do not take the Ten Commandments as a whole package, sooner or later everything will come to pieces. They all have to come together. And so our purpose as we study the Sixth Commandment straightforward We're going to pursue the sixth commandment in light of the first five commandments. Or to say this with more strength, we're going to pursue the sixth commandment as the word of the God of the scriptures. And so we're going to spend our time working away at the sixth commandment by answering four questions. And I'll just state them really quickly here at the outset. What does it mean? Why should we care? What did Jesus say? What are we supposed to do? So four questions, and we'll work away at these, try to unearth what the Sixth Commandment is all about and how it connects to the first five. And so the first question, well, what does the Sixth Commandment mean? As we think about this question, it really seems like a silly question. The text reads, you shall not murder. It means what it says, you shall not murder. What more is there really to say about the meaning of the Sixth Commandment? Perhaps you grew up reading and memorizing the King James Version. That would be fairly common. And the the King James Version reads this for the Sixth Commandment. You shall not kill. So if you're sensitive to the English language, I read this morning from the ESV. The ESV says you shall not murder. The King James Version says you shall not kill. And so if we're sensitive to the English language, we notice that there is a difference between these two translations, and we can tease the difference out with some grade school logic. Remember, going back to your grade school days, every dog is a mammal. Every dog is a mammal. It doesn't matter if that dog is a German shepherd, if it's a poodle, or if it's a black lab. Every dog is a mammal. However, not every mammal is a dog. Moose are mammals, but moose aren't dogs. Cats are mammals, but cats aren't dogs. People are mammals, but people aren't dogs. And we can see the same kind of thing going on between the translations of the King James Version and the ESV. Every murder is a killing, but not every killing is a murder. And so we're left to ask, well, what does the sixth commandment mean? Does it prohibit killing, this broad, less definite, more inclusive category? Or does it prohibit murder, this more specific, defined form of killing? And so words matter. And the reality is that our answer to this question, what does the Sixth Commandment mean, lies somewhere between these poles of killing and murder. On the one hand, the commandment definitely prohibits murder. And what's murder? The intentional, unlawful act of taking someone's life. But on the other hand, the Sixth Commandment also prohibits certain kinds of killing. The unintentional and unlawful taking of someone's life. And so we can offer this this definition for the Sixth Commandment. What does the Sixth Commandment mean? Well, the commandment prohibits the unlawful taking of life, whether that be intentional or unintentional. So we're dealing here in the, in the abstract a bit. We're dealing with, with definition. So it might be helpful to take this definition I just gave you The commandment prohibits the unlawful taking of life, whether that be intentional or unintentional. Take that definition and apply it to a few cases. And so we can look at three cases and try to flesh this out for us. So the first case I want to bring you to, we can call it the case of sticks on the Sabbath. So Numbers chapter 15 verses 32 through 36 record the death of a a man found gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And what the text records is grisly. Listen to verse 36. All the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones. So what do we make of this situation? Well, thinking through our definition, this act is is definitely intentional. These people intended to kill this man. The congregation deliberated on the situation, and then they drug this man out of the camp, and then they hurled stones upon him until the man was dead. However, the key in this matter is determining whether these actions taken by the congregation against this man were lawful or unlawful. And so we find some help in the text of Numbers chapter 15, verses 33 through 36. Listen to these and those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it, had not, because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So how does this case help us think through the Sixth Commandment? Well, this case shows us that not every killing is prohibited by the sixth commandment. It was holy, righteous, and good for the congregation of Israel to take this man found breaking the Sabbath outside the camp and to stone him to death. Why? Because it was the will of the Lord. And so the sixth commandment doesn't prohibit all killings. Certain killings are holy, righteous, and good when they are Lawful when they accord to the will of the Lord. And so there are certain examples of this and cases of this throughout the Old Testament. It's it's lawful in the case of holy war, for example, or as a punishment for murder or other high-handed sins. So that's one case. We can look at another case. So our second case we can call it an axe and an oops. And so this case is found in Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 4 through 10. And what Moses records here is a hypothetical situation. Two men go out into the forest and they're, and they're taking care of their duties. They're going out to cut and chop firewood for the camp. And so there are these men out in the woods and, and presumably these men are friends. There's, there's nothing going on between these men. There's no hard feelings. But in the midst of their work, one man is swinging his axe and the the head of the axe flies off and kills his friend in the middle of the forest, just the two of them there. And so we ask, well, what are we to make of this particular situation? What does the sixth commandment say about this? Well, as we consider this case, certainly this case was not intentional act. This man had no ill feelings, no hard feelings towards his neighbor. If we put our detective hats on, we would say, there seems to be no motive in the midst of this killing. We can say that it was an accident, an unfortunate oops. However, what is really interesting here is that the word used to describe this man's accidental death in Deuteronomy chapter 19 is the same word that Moses uses in the Six Commandments. You shall not murder or you shall not kill. That same word shows up in Deuteronomy chapter 19 to describe this accidental death by the head of a flying axe head. So what does this mean? Well, we can say this. Though this man's death was an accident, it was still a breach. It was still a transgression, even though unintentional, of the Sixth Commandment. Now, as we think about the situation, we have to realize that the Lord's justice is not arbitrary. Because this death was unintentional, and because this man was not grossly negligent in the death of his brother, he was not to be charged or punished for his brother's death. In fact, you find in Deuteronomy chapter 19 that the Lord supplies a place of refuge for this man who unintentionally transgressed the Sixth Commandment. And we can look at a third case as well, trying to understand the meaning of the six commandments. We can call this third case, the case of blood and grapes. So 1 Kings chapter 20 tells a story of, of treachery and deceit. So one day the king of Israel, King Ahab, got the idea that he would like to have a vegetable garden for himself right next to his palace. That would be really convenient, wouldn't it? But the problem was that the particular piece of land that he wanted for the vegetable garden was owned by someone else. And the owner of that piece of land refused to sell it to Ahab because it was ancestral land and he wanted to keep it. And so what happened? Well, Ahab and his wife Jezebel conspired to have that stubborn landowner who refused to sell his land dealt with once and for all. Naboth was stoned, and Ahab got exactly what he wanted. So what are we to make of this case? Well, clearly what Ahab and Jezebel did was unlawful and also intentional. This is a clear and explicit example of what murder is. It was unlawful, not sanctioned by the Lord, and it was intentional. There was motive, there was willful desire in taking this other man's life. And we see the Lord treating it as murder. The Lord will not let these guilty people off. And so there's Ahab and he's in the midst of his new vegetable garden. And then he receives the word of the Lord from the prophet saying, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood. And the word of the Lord comes to his wife as well. The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. And so these three cases help us understand the Lord's will in regard to human life. And so, what does the Sixth Commandment mean? Well, it prohibits the unlawful taking of life, whether that be intentional or unintentional. So that's our first question. We can move into the second question. And the second question is this, why should we care? And again, this question seems like a no-brainer. Why should we care? Well, simply, we care because murder is wrong. What else is there really to say in regard to this question? But before we move on, we need to dig into this question. Why should we care about the sixth commandment? Well, let's go back to that conversation with our agnostic neighbor. We've established that he doesn't particularly like the first five commandments. He doesn't like to be told when and how and who to worship. But he does with some modifications, appreciate the last five commandments. He thinks that they're the bedrock of any decent society. So you decide to push the conversation forward a bit and you ask your neighbor across the fence this, why in particular do you agree with the sixth commandment? Why? Why do you care about this? Well, he pauses and then gives you this answer. Well, it seems to be a universally agreed upon rule. And it's been established just about in every civilized country, in every law code around the world. Even more, we just need that for our society, our our city, our country, our world would just devolve into an absolute mess if you could just kill willy nilly with no repercussion for it. It just seems right. Everybody agrees upon it. And so, what are we to make of that response as Christians? Well, first of all, we should be deeply thankful for that response from our neighbor across the fence. We should be deeply thankful for God's grace here. Here's an example of God's graciousness in restraining the nations from complete destruction. Even though your neighbor is dead in his sins, he cannot escape the light and the goodness of God's law. God's law is yet even restraining him. Good news. We give thanks for that. But at the same time, as we consider our neighbor's response, it just seems right. It's a moral consensus. We should be deeply troubled. Why? Because our neighbor has no foundation to rest the sixth commandment upon. All he can say is that there is a moral consensus for it, or that it seems right to him, or that it's best for society. And what he has done is he has built his house upon a pile of sand, and it's dangerous to build your house upon a pile of sand. We have to ask as we think about this, well, what happens when the moral consensus changes or when the vision of what is good or best for society changes? And the answer is an absolute disaster happens. The house built upon sand collapses. And the reality is that we taste the fruit of that even today. All of a sudden, it's best for society to, mil- to murder millions of children in the womb. All of a sudden, it's an act of compassion to help someone end their life prematurely. All of a sudden, everything changes because the house was built upon sand. It seems right, and what seems right today may not seem what is right tomorrow. And so as Christians, we can never be content with the reasoning of our neighbor across the fence. We have to build our house upon a rock, and the rock is, is God Himself. And so we need to go to the Lord and we need to ask the Lord, why should we care about the sixth commandments? And the Lord tells us why we should care about the sixth commandment. Listen to what the Lord says in Genesis chapter 9 verse 6. The Lord says this, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his image. So think that through. The Christian cares about the sixth commandment. Why? Because murder is ultimately about God. While murder is definitely not good for society, we can agree with that, the Christian reasoning goes deeper. God made man, and God made man in his image, and thus to assault and destroy man is at root level an act of violence against the God who created man. And it's only when we begin to connect the sixth commandment to God that we find ourselves on solid footing. We get clarity. We don't need to take a straw poll to decide who gets to live and who gets to die. We don't need to engage in any kind of utilitarian thinking as we try to judge whether someone might be useful to society or not. We know from God himself that regardless of skin color, regardless of disabilities or handicaps, regardless of location, whether someone might find themselves in their mother's womb or outside their mother's womb, that all men, women, and children are made in the image of God and that to unlawfully extinguish a life is a great sin against man and ultimately a great sin against God. And so as we consider the sixth commandment in our society and the foundation that our society is built upon, there is need for Sixth Commandment awakening. There's a need for Commandments 1 through 6 awakening in our society. And as we look at our society, we say there, there are unjust laws that need to be struck down and reforms that need to be enacted. We need to pray that the Sixth Commandment would come with full force as God intends it to. But I don't want to stop here with the Sixth Commandment. It's not just our society that needs a Sixth Commandment awakening. We need one as well. And for this awakening, we need to turn our attention to the Lord Jesus and ask, well, what did Jesus say about the Sixth Commandment? Jesus directly taught upon the Sixth Commandment in his ministry. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22. Jesus said this, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So we all know the difference between a sharp knife and a dull knife. With a dull knife in your hand in the kitchen, it's almost impossible to get anything done. That knife just seems to, to bounce off the surface of whatever you are trying to, to cut. Everything comes with difficulty. But what the Lord Jesus does here in the Sermon on the Mount is he takes the sixth commandment and he begins to sharpen it. He's not content with any surface level application of the sixth commandment. So he, he hones a sharp edge upon it so that the, the commandment will cut us deeply. We need to follow Jesus' logic closely here. He states the clear teaching of the sixth commandment those who use their hands for the cause of violence towards others will be punished. We get that, we understand that. But then Jesus deepens the commandment and applies the severity of the law to everyone. He reveals that those who will be punished are not only the physically violent, but anyone who has violent emotions raging inside of them, or anyone who explodes with a violent word towards his brother or sister. What happens here is that Jesus sharpened the sixth commandment, and because he sharpened it, it becomes exceedingly dangerous. If you pick the sixth commandment up and you handle it for any amount of time, you will certainly be cut by it and cut deeply. For who can claim innocence in this matter? Who hasn't harbored bitterness in their heart? Who hasn't exploded with a violent word towards their spouse or their children or that guy who cut you off on the road? Who hasn't brooded over that conversation? Who hasn't raged with anger for a minute or for an hour or for a week or for five years? But here's the shocking thing about Jesus' words. He doesn't just sharpen the commandment to cut us up. He sharpens it to show us the authoritative standard for Christian living. Disciples of Jesus do not just refrain from beating someone with their hands. They refrain from uttering violent words. And they refrain from cultivating violent emotions in their hearts. Listen to the standard of Christian teaching taught by Jesus' disciples and apostles throughout the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What did Jesus say? Well, he sharpens the commandments, and he shows us the depth and the breadth of the commandments, how we should live as God's people, a people refraining from violent words and refraining from cultivating violent emotions in our Hearts. And so this brings us to our last question What are we supposed to do with the six commandments? What are we supposed to do? And so, with Jesus' words in front of us, the standard for the Christian is a high one, and sadly, we do not meet it. So, the question is well, what are we supposed to do with Jesus' words? How are we to grow up in obedience? Well, if we're going to grow up in obedience, if we're going to obey Jesus' words, if we're going to obey the sixth commandment, we need to give ourselves to three actions as God's people. The first action we must give ourselves to is the work of confession. We must confess our complicity. Though, not, though you might not be a, a lamech who, who boldly brags about his murder, or you might not be a, a Jezebel who, who secretly and sinister, sinisterly assassinated others, The reality is we all have murder in our hearts and it's evidenced again and again in the nitty-gritty of our lives. Frustrations from work, tension in the home, complications within the body of Christ, small inconveniences bring to surface what's actually inside of us again and again and again. All of these events in our lives show us who we truly are. And so our work again and again as a Christian is to go to the Lord and say... I'm a lawbreaker and I'm complicit. I live in a web of anger. That's who I am. And our work is to bring that before the mercy seat of God, confessing our sin, the sin that easily besets us. And so we go to the Lord, we confess our complicity in this sin, and then we do a second work. We cling to Christ. The murderer, according to God's word, was to die for his sins. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. Or as Exodus chapter 21 puts it, you shall pay life for life, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And as you think about the laws for murder, unlawfully and intentionally taking someone's life, there was no way out for the culprit. There was no good works that the culprit could perform to to lessen the sentence. There was no sacrifice that one could atone, that we could atone for their sin. The life of the murderer was required. So if what Jesus says and what the apostles press upon us is true, we are all in grave danger of the judgment of God. We are all murderers. But this is where we meet the good news of the gospel. What happened in the gospel story? Jesus, the man who never once broke the Sixth Commandment in word or deed or thought, he was murdered. And he was murdered for our sake. In Jesus' murder, we find life. We're reminded of this precious truth in 1 John 1, verse 7. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus was murdered so that murderers would find life in him. And so there's only one solution for angry people like you and me. We must go to the one who patiently endured evil with no complaint, who turned his cheek again and again to his enemies, who prayed for those who persecuted, who gave his life as a ransom for many, who willingly drank the cup of God's wrath. What must we do to grow in obedience to the Sixth Commandment? We must continually cling to Jesus Who was murdered for our sake. And when we cling to Jesus, we find that our violent thoughts, our violent actions, our violent emotions have been forgiven in full. Precious good news for people like you and me who struggle with anger on a daily basis. So we confess our sins, we cling to Christ, and third, we have to work to diffuse the violence in our hearts. So, the call here is to to follow closely after Jesus. So, Martin Luther wrote a manual on the Ten Commandments, and I love what Martin Luther has to say here on the work of diffusing violence in the heart. And before I tell you what Luther said, I want to, to remind you just a bit about Luther. Two things about Luther. First, Luther was a man who had many enemies, people wrote about Luther, shaming him, slandering him in the press. Even more, Luther is a man who is is hunted by his enemies. He was a man surrounded by enemies. He knew the anger of man. He knew the violence of man well. He suffered from it. Secondly, he was a man who greatly struggled with violence himself. Just spend some time reading Luther's works, and you'll find a streak of violence within this man. And So I find it helpful to go to Luther. I don't find it helpful to go to, to, some, to some person who, who, who dwells in I, I, idyllic serenity, who never deals with a, a temper. I find help from a man who greatly wrestled with violent emotions and, and violent words and who wanted to follow Jesus and grow in obedience to Jesus. So listen to what Luther says, a man who struggled with anger and suffered from other people's anger. Luther wrote this, Let them visualize their enemies and place them before the eyes of their hearts in order to bend and accustom themselves to thinking well of their enemies, wishing the best for them, caring and praying for them, and when the opportunity presents itself, speaking well of them and doing good to them. What is Luther calling us to do? He's calling us to diffuse the violence in our hearts. He's calling us to suffocate anger in our hearts by allowing it no oxygen. And so what does he call us to do? He says, you must do this interior work in your soul. You must think. You must visualize your enemies. You must bring them before you. Instead of ruminating constantly upon them, we are to think well of them. Instead of plotting against them, we're to pray for them. Instead of repaying our enemies, we're to do good to them. What Luther's calling us to do is he's, he's calling for a, a, a mindset shift in the life of the Christian. Visualize your enemies. Start praying for them, thinking well of them. And then when you finally see your enemy, start speaking well to them and doing good to them. And that's the path of the Savior. And if we're careful to do these three things, confessing our sins, clinging to Christ, and diffusing the violence in our hearts, we'll find ourselves on the path of obedience, following in Jesus' footsteps, growing in grace and obedience. And let's pray towards that end together. Oh Father, we thank you for your word and the clarity it brings to our lives. Oh, Father, we do confess our complicity in, in sin. We live in a web of anger. We're like fish in the sea of anger. We hardly notice how angry we are. We often are and we ask for your forgiveness and we go to Jesus even right now afresh clinging to the one who was murdered to bring us life. We praise you for the sufficiency of Jesus' death that all of our sins have been dealt with there on Calvary. We hope in him. We pray would you fill us with grace so that we might walk obediently. Grant us grace that we would diffuse violence in our hearts visualizing our enemies, praying for them, wishing the best for them, speaking well of them, and doing good to them. Father, we ask for a, a Sixth Commandment awakening in our hearts, and we pray that it would give birth to a Sixth Commandment awakening in our society, in our culture, in our world. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.